The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. Find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI. Log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Good morning. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, California. Streaming online at KUCI.org and podcasting on iTunes. Welcome to Fighting for Love. This show will help you turn conflict into collaboration in all your relationships. I'm Lloyd, the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank, an attorney mediator since 1985. She's a mediator for the Orange County Superior Court Civil Mediation Panel. Mari's a professor of negotiations and conflict management and has been a certified state bar trainer for over 25 years. To learn more about the show and our great guests, please visit conflicthealing.com. Mari, what's your show about this morning? Well, Lloyd, today our show is about decision-making. And you know, when we talk about conflict, there, there's always inner conflict when we have to make a decision. Should I do this or should I do that or should I not do this or what? You know, there is so much doubt sometimes. So I've been reading this wonderful book by Ann Tucker called Undoubtedly Awesome, Your Own Personal Roadmap from Doubt to Flow. So let me tell you a little bit about our author. Ann Tucker is a recognized professional speaker who's addressed audiences around the world on the topics of leadership, personal transformation, decision-making, and the psychology of doubt, which we all, when we make big decisions, we may have that doubt within us, like, oh, should I do it or should I not do it? She is the founder of Wisdom Soup, an online social learning community that speeds up serendipity by connecting people with similar interests in spirituality and personal growth. So she has made this issue of decision-making an ongoing focus for over 20 years. And um, she has been uh, the co-founder of Gray Matter Partners, a leadership development firm based in Seattle, Washington, where she worked with senior executives and she taught them and coached them in processes that one of her clients called an awakening. And her clients are able to reduce ambiguity for themselves and their organizations. So I think it's helpful because this book, as I was looking through it and reading it, I can see where it helps you to bring clarity. So she's going to do a little practice with me as well as to so that you can see how she leads you through some of the decision-making based on your soul and uh, how it's going to work best for you. So you can find out more about her at a couple of different places at wisdomsoup.com and also at her website, Anne Tucker, that's A-N-N-E-T-U-C-K-E-R.com. And thank you for joining us this morning from San Diego. Thanks so much for inviting me. Well, how is it that you decided to write this book? Oh, do you know, it came about because I was working uh, as an executive coach, and, uh, and one of the processes we used uh, as we were working with a client is we would do what we called a 360 interview, where we would interview the person and find out all about their strengths and weaknesses, and then we would interview everybody that knew them and find out what their perspective was on their strengths and weaknesses. And my perspective as I did this was always around decisions. Because I started my career as a negotiator at Microsoft, and my training was around decision-making. So as a consultant, my sort of uh, uh, way through the door was around decisions. So I was looking at 
getting this full perspective on people. And I really started to notice doing this over and over again. I started to notice these patterns emerging. I started to notice that the same strengths and weaknesses were sort of linked and how they would impact how what this person was able to create in the world. So uh, eventually I realized what I was looking at was this, this pattern of seven different soul types. I was looking at how people are able to create and manifest using the pattern that they use to make decisions. It's fascinating. So why is it that decisions really are so important in our lives? Oh my gosh. You know, they are, they are, if you were going to pick one thing that was going to give you the biggest bang for your buck in terms of your personal development, I would say it's decisions because they are at the beginning of everything you do and they determine everything that comes next. They are like the focusing element, right? That, that determines um, uh, what it is that, that where you're going to direct all of your resources and all of your energy. So, um, and we think of a decision as being like a, just like a, a thing you do in a moment. Like I choose something, like you hand over your credit card or you turn left instead of right. But in fact, it's, it's actually, it's a thought process that, and that each of us does it differently. We have a different process that we go through and the way that you make that decision, the process that you use actually determines what kind of outcome you're likely to create for yourself, what type of creator you are and what sorts of things you typically create. Right, right. And you know, even little things, I remember my, my niece, I love her to death. She's a CPA and she thinks a little differently than I do. And I remember we were out, she came in town and we were shopping and I'm one of these people like, okay, I like it. I'm going to get it. She goes, oh, should I get it? Should I not get it? Everything. I just finally just was yelling at her, buy it and let's get out of here. You know, and it was, it was just so funny because that was just a little thing about making decisions. But um, yeah. I could see, you know, I mean, when it comes to something big, like buying a house or buying yeah. a car, you know, I'm going to make a lot of different, uh, you know, inquiries and really do my homework. But whether I'm going to buy a new <laughs> coat or not, I'm not going to stand there and go nuts. I either <laughs> like it or not, get it and get out of here. So it was it was really funny to see it. Now, you've got in your book, you've got really four stages um, of, of decision-making. Can you go through those real quickly for us? Sure, sure, yeah. And, and the reason I, I included these four stages is because the best way for us to understand ourselves is to compare, us, compare ourselves to something else, right? To compare ourselves, it's, it's really hard to understand yourself in a vacuum. So the idea behind having these four stages is to give you uh, just a model so that you can better understand yourself. And um, the four stages, they go through the, the different layer or, or the, as you're sort of walking through a decision. Um, and uh, the, the first one is really is where you first become aware of the problem. So this is what I would call orientation. And this is where you become aware of the problem and you start coming up with what are some possible solutions, right? You're sort of, this is where you might get um, some initial ideas about what those solutions might be. Then in stage two, you move into what I call comparison. And this is where you are, um, uh, you're doing your research, you're going through all the different potential alternatives that you have, and you're comparing them to each other. Right. And then in stage three, that you start narrowing it down and starting getting closer to, the, to a couple that you like best, and then finally down to the one that you like best. 
And then once you get down to the very, the one that you like best, you commit to that decision, you make the choice, and then you move on to stage four, which is called reinforcement. And this is where you are, uh, um, uh, you have internal processes in your own mind that help to reinforce and make you feel great about the choice that you made. And this four-stage model is based off one by, that's made by a, a, a professor by the name of Fisher, Fisher, who created this when it came to groups. I'm using it here as it applies to your individual decision-making. Right, right. Sometimes you make a decision and then you go, oh, gosh, did I make the right decision, right? (laughs) You know, buyer's remorse or whatever you want to call it. So, yeah, yeah, decisions are, I mean, really, when you think about what decision you make in your life, especially the big ones, it could change your entire life. Like, should I marry this guy or should I marry this woman or not? And that's yeah, a that's yeah. a huge decision, you know. Should I yeah. should I go on and become a teacher or a lawyer or what mm-hmm. what is it? And and it's just like, yeah. But they say be I mean, bold and mighty forces will come to your aid when you make that decision. <laughs> I don't know. It's And a- you know, I love that way of looking at it because the thing that I think is is true across the board is that we tend to torture ourselves, particularly like your niece that you're talking about who's agonizing (laughs) over a coat, that we torture ourselves about have we made the right choice. And what I found is that we we always think that there is the one right thing and that it's our job to figure out what the one right thing is and that if we don't pick it, then it's going to be our fault for not being making a good enough decision. But what's actually true is that once you've narrowed it down to your top two or three choices, right, you're, you've, you've done your research and you're really only evaluating those choices that are really within reason, at that point, it matters a whole lot less what you choose and it matters much more how you choose it. So if you think about like your niece, for example, that if there had been two cho- coats that she was choosing between, at the end of the day, she probably would have been like either one would have kept her warm, would have been useful, right? Either one would have been a good choice. But but the process she uses to choose it is going to determine how she feels about it after she buys it. Right. So, so you know what? Buy it. I made her buy both yeah. of them. <laughs> one was a short one when one was a long one. And she was just driving me nuts. And I wanted to get out of there and go get something oh for God. lunch. And I just said, get them both. And then I saw her afterward. And she was so, yeah. you know, like I saw her a few weeks later. And yeah. um, she said, I'm so glad I got them both. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, sometimes yeah. But obviously, when it's uh, something that you have to choose one or the other, it's a different story. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and people end up like I said, they torture themselves. But the truth is, is that the longer they stay in that process of indecision, the longer that they go through that sort of torturing themselves over it, it actually makes it harder for them to fall in love with their choice. And uh-huh. and it's that process of really fully committing to their choice is what's going to make them feel the best and and it's when you feel great about your choice that's what actually helps it to succeed the the more the more energy you're putting towards your choice the more positive your perspective is on that choice the greater chance it has at making you happy actually working for you right so it's sort of like the process that you're using is what creates the success of your choice and I love this. You you actually talk about the different, um, you know, the soul types, and you have a chart here. Yeah. And it yeah. says, follow the arrows as you answer these questions about your decision-making process, and your soul type will be the letter you choose at the bottom of this chart. And it kind of helps you 
in determining what kind of soul type you are so that you can be more effective. So I thought it yeah. would be fun if you did it with me as, as and I'll be the guinea pig and yeah. then people can see and then they can obviously get their own book, which again, I'll say the name of your book is Undoubtedly Awesome. Um, your own personal roadmap from doubt to flow. And so, uh, yeah. So do you want to make me into a guinea pig? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. (laughs) Okay. So, okay. (laughs) So, all right. So to figure this out, we'll just ask you really three questions is all it takes. And because we're looking at something so specific, since we're not looking at your whole personality, we're just looking at how you make choices. So the first question is, in general, do you make decisions slower or faster than other people? I think we already know that based on your shopping story. Right, right. <laughs> right. So faster, I think, is your answer. Yes. So, okay, so you make decisions faster. Your second question is, so if you were to run into somebody in the grocery store that you know, and they ask you, how are you doing? Are you going to tell them just the facts about what you've been up to? Are you going to say, well, I went on a trip and then I saw my friend and I've been great. How about you? Or are you going to go more into detail about how you, how it affected you and how you feel such as I went on a trip and it was the most uh, heart wrenching thing. There was this thing that affected me terribly. And then I was depressed and, and there's that cereal and it reminds me of my childhood trauma. Is it going to be more, more emotive? Are you going to give more detail about how things affect you? Or are you going to be more just the facts? And it's a it's a spectrum, so you can be. Yeah, I think uh, it's mostly the facts. I might just say, like, I can tell you, I just went mm-hmm. to the UK and we had fun in in Scotland, and then we saw my daughter and met her British boyfriend. Okay, <laughs> and that was fun. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's yeah. that's probably yeah. how I would say it, just like I told you. So I think I'm yeah. probably the first. The first one. Okay, great. So your third question, and you're going to like both of these options, but you have to pick one. And the question is, in general, do you prefer developing a plan and a strategy or do you prefer jumping right into action? And like I said, you like both, but you have to pick one. Do you want to develop the strategy or do you want to jump right into action? Um, I would say I like to do a strategy. A strategy. Okay, so that would make you what I call safer. Yeah, yeah, okay. So I would say that that makes you what I would call an efficient soul. And the efficient soul, the particular gift that you have is the ability to rise up above the problem at the 35,000 foot level and to look down on it and to keep in mind what is your end goal? What is the thing that you're trying to get to? And then you're able to figure out what is the most direct line from here to there. And so you'll look at all of your resources, all of the things that you need to consider that you have available to you. And you're, you're able to maintain a certain level of detachment and to say, okay, I need to keep this. I need to get rid of that. What's important, what's not to get me to where I want to go as quick as possible. So, and so your process tends to be like that. Your ten, your process tends to be, your since you are looking to do it most efficiently, you tend to make decisions primarily on your own. Um, and then you're happy to direct other people about what to do afterwards. Right, <laughs> right. You know what to do. Happy to tell others what to do. But you tend to, it tends to be more efficient for you to do the thinking and the processing on your own. Does that sound like you? Yeah, it does. Although sometimes when I don't have enough information... 
you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, for example, I would really love to be doing a lot of online courses, you know, because I've been doing webinars yeah. and things. And so that I don't know enough about all of the, uh, you know, I can do Zoom and I can do things like that, that, that technology that I'm in charge of. But the whole marketing thing is is kind of overwhelming for me because that's not my area of expertise. So for me, I, I can know my part and plan my part, but mm-hmm. I really, mm-hmm. I think the decision-making is how do you choose people to support you that... Sure. I, that's the hard part is choosing people yeah. that can support you, the vendors, the, the everything. And, and you know what I mean? That, that's the, that's the decision-making that I find extremely hard when there's so many choices and I don't know enough. I have to do so much research, <laughs> yeah. you know, that's yeah. the hard yeah. part. Yeah. And, and where your particular soul type will benefit you in that process is that some people would get completely paralyzed but that by that by the by that the overwhelm but you because of your process you'll be able to filter through and figure out what are the things that you really care about what is it that's going to make the difference and when you find a, a vendor that you feel good about you won't hesitate to commit and go yeah. so whereas another person might worry about is it the right person or maybe I should wait maybe I should interview 10 more right you'll interview enough and then you'll yeah. you'll figure out hey this is what I feel best about let's just do it yeah um yeah. does that sound like you yeah yeah I just remember yeah. even just like when I was gonna paint or a painter for the house I interviewed five different painters and I compared and yeah. contrasted which ones and then I made my decision well I like this person yeah. they're they weren't the cheapest but they looked like they were going to do the best job and so yeah. yeah so for me I like to have a process that I can eliminate um yeah but, but it's you yeah. know but it is it's a lot of work in decision making I think people sometimes yeah. may uh shy away from it because it if you're going to make a good decision you <laughs> You know, it's like before I buy a car, I have to go on to Consumer Reports and look at all these cars. And it's really true, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Oh, especially because if you if it in you know a bigger decision, and and everybody handles their approach to the data and the research differently. You know, some people um, uh, don't actually do a whole lot of research. Some people really get lost in the research. And that's, that's part of their process. It's like, how do you balance? What is the right amount? How much is enough so that you feel like you have uncovered any issues, right? So that you've right. made a wise choice, but not so much that you end up wasting tons of time. Right. And that's the, the balance you have to strike. Um, so, but, but in terms of soul types, you are better at that than, than most others that you're better at finding that balance of, of finding the right amount of research so that you make a good choice and then committing to it. Where other soul types might get into trouble is that they will either research ad nauseum, that they will just go deeper and deeper and deeper into the details until they know, you know, which factory worker put the lug nut on, on their car, you know? <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> and, yeah. You know, and other people just say, oh, I love the color. I'm getting that one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I have a client like that. She went out and got a car without thinking and it just, yeah. it was not the right car for her. And, you know, what could I say? You know, that I wasn't dealing right. with that part of her life. I just said, 
oh, <laughs> you know, I was just so shocked. Oh, I, yeah, I like the way it looks and I like it because it's a Beamer and da 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 da. Right. And I went, oh my God, you know, but it really doesn't fit your needs. But what am I going to say afterward, yeah. you know? That's yeah, too late. Exactly. Yeah. So why is it that we sometimes doubt our decisions and sometimes we don't? Well, one of the things to look out for is that when you stay in that comparison stage, and we talked about those four different stages of decision, and when you when you get into the comparison, comparison stage, ideally, um, in a perfect world, you would find a couple of options that were good, and, you know, three to five options, and you would weigh those, and you would, a favorite would emerge, and you would feel good about committing to it. But in many cases, what ends up happening is um, either you make a choice without making a lot of comparison and you make it quickly like your friend who bought the Beamer, or you spend so much time in comparison that that uh, you start, it's like you're, when you're in that comparison mode, what it feels like is you have the first thing that you really like and you see all the benefits of it and you respond to those on an emotional level. You say, oh my gosh, I love the color or I love the whatever. Then you'll go and look at two or three alternatives. And every time you find an alternative, you hold it up and you compare it to that first original choice. Well, every time you're comparing it back to that first choice, the first choice, it's like, it's like hearing a joke. It's like when you've compared it for the second or third of the fourth time, it's like hearing a joke for the second or third or fourth time. And that original one that you love, it's like it just stops speaking to you. It stops you stop getting the same emotional good feeling that you did originally only because you've heard it so many times. Right. So what ends up happening is that even when you even though you liked that number one the best over time, it starts to become harder and harder to feel your way towards the best decision because it starts getting all stuck together, right? Mm. You start, the feeling of it, because you make the decisions with your emotions, the feeling of it gets muddied. So you end up in this process where you just, things become the, the ones that you are now comparing their benefits, even though, even though they might not be as good of a choice, their benefits are fresher and newer. So they look better. So you just end up in this horrible cycle of, of, sticky, unable to decide. And it leads you to when you finally choose, you end up feeling a lot more doubt because the one that you chose, you have all these other options that their benefits are living large in your mind. And the benefits of the original one that you chose, it's diminished because you kept comparing it over and over again. So you just devalue the choice that you made. You've made it so that it's much harder for you to commit on an emotional level. Right. You know, I read somewhere in, I don't know if it was psychology today or whatever, the fact that we have so many different choices when you go to the grocery store, that it really is not healthy in making a decision, that there's way too many choices like, okay, how many cereals can there be, you know, or how many makeups, you know, like when I look at makeup, you know, finally, I just think, okay, well, I'm going to just, I'm not even going (laughs) to look at all these things. I'm going to look at something that I I like the brand. I know that the brand's been healthy. It's not the most expensive. It's not the cheapest. I'm just going to get it and the hell with it. You know, how different can it be? You know, that's totally (laughs) true. And, and the funny thing is, is that when you have so many choices, it's actually much, much harder harder to pick something because it sets up our expectation that since we have so many choices, we think that among all these choices, one of these is going to be perfect, right? It raises our expectations about what perfect perfect looks like. 
So we end up, it's like we put an added burden on ourselves in the choosing, and we end up unable to choose. So if you go to a place that has a million, you know, lots and lots of choices, you end up walking away with nothing. Right. Whereas if they're only showing you three, you have no problem picking one right away. Right, right. Yeah. And I think Mm -hmm. for me, I think it's really helpful if before I go out to look for a house, for example, if I write down, what do I want? You know, what are the key Mm -hmm. things that are going to be important? You know, good kitchen. I want to have some kind of a view. What are all the different things that are going to be most important to me? And then I can say, well, if it doesn't have that, I don't want to bother looking at it. You know, and that right there is your efficient soul type. So that's exactly what I'm talking about, about that you have the end goal in mind first. So before you begin your process, you know where you're headed and that makes your whole process a lot more efficient. So that that is exactly what I'm talking about, and it does. Just takes it, it's, less it's time, fabulous. right? If you know yeah, that, yeah, it takes a or... lot less time. Yeah, it takes less time, and it's just a more streamlined because you know where you're trying to go. Yeah. So most people they start out their decision, and they don't they don't have that. They're kind of like, well, I'm just going to let it emerge. I'll know what I like when I see it. Is what yeah. They say. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I you know if I, if I do something totally emotional without figuring out first, I yeah, know I'm yeah. going to be sorry. <laughs> I know, yeah. I know that I'm going to be sorry. So what about people yeah. when they, when they are sorry? Okay. What if yeah. somebody makes a decision and then they don't, they go, they regret it. Okay. Yeah. Or they're dissatisfied. Mm-hmm. So and um, what can they do? Yeah. What do they do then? Well, the, I mean, the, first it's important to decide, is it because the thing that you bought really doesn't work? You know, if you buy something and it breaks right away, well, uh, you're going to be dissatisfied, right? So that's, right. that's because it really was a default. But what if you bought something and there's no reason why you don't like it, you just don't like it? Say that you buy a pair of pants and you bring them home and you leave the tags on and you keep them in your closet and you just gradually become dissatisfied with them. And that happens to all of us, right? You buy something and it's just, it's just hangs in your closet and you never wear it. Yeah. And the reason why that happens is because you never fully committed to the choice that you made that, that when you buy something, so say for example, you leave the tags on it. The reason you leave the tags on is you think, well, maybe I'm going to return it, right? I'm I'm not sure. I might return it. Well, the fact that you're not sure that you leave yourself a back door, you're leaving those tags on means you're not committed to the pants. It means that you haven't invested yourself in them, Uh. that you've left yourself a way out. So by default right there, what it means is that you're, you're going to have a harder time falling in love with it. When you love something, you take the tags off and you wear it immediately and you immediately right. look in your closet, what can go with this? Right, right? And right. you love it. And that's, that's the behavior you want. You want to have a beha- the behavior of immediately fully committing. There's no backing out. There's, you burn your bridges, you give up your alternatives and you are in. And when that happens, you find reasons to love the thing that you bought. And it literally is like a switch that you flip in your head. So if you've bought something, the question is, can you recapture the magic? If you've fallen out of, out of satisfaction with something, can you recapture that magic? And you can, the trick is to begin to invest yourself in it. So if you have that pair of pants and you, it's in your closet and you feel like, meh, then, then go through the process over again and start planning outfits, like pull it out, take the tags off and start pairing it with things in your closet. Imagine some outfits and then wear them and get, start, start getting creative with them, invest a little bit of your, of your sense of self in them. And then you'll begin to, to like them again. You know, it reminds me of, you know, I do a lot of divorce mediation as a lawyer Yeah, and I do mediation and I'm thinking, you know, sometimes people, marry someone and you know they're not 100% committed even 
Yeah. Or yeah. they were committed and then, you know, they they think, oh, well, maybe the grass is greener somewhere else. So I think right. that word commitment that you keep using is really important because when you're committed, you can look for the good. Um, whether yeah. it's a relationship, you can say, okay, well, he does this or she does that, but you know what? Look at all these other things. You kind of look for the mm-hmm. good, just like you were saying, even with the clothes, you know, like, okay, I bought it. I'm committed. Now I can find ways that I can make it more fun. I can I can yeah. pair it with these shoes, this whatever. And I think yeah. it's kind of like that with relationships. <laughs> oh, I totally agree. I mean, it is. It's like everything is how you see it, right? And when you're when you're falling out of love with somebody, it's like they can't do anything right. They can't even eat their salad right, right? Everything they do is wrong. And when you when you're in love with them, then everything they do is amazing and, and all you see is what's good about them. So and that's just a that's just a decision in your own mind about what you're paying attention to. And then the piece on top of that that's important is how much of yourself are you investing in that person. So so when you when you say you have to work at a relationship, it's like and it's the same thing with the pants. Like I said, you have to invest yourself. So So in a relationship, that means you have to do the work. So I've heard stories of people whose marriage was on the rock and then one person got ill and the other person all of a sudden had to really double down and start taking care of that person. And the process of having to care for them made them fall back in love with them, That, that it was because they were investing themselves in the relationship and in the person, and I'm not saying that people should get sick in order to right. save their marriage. Right, but it, it, it could idea. be anything that they recommit. <laughs> yeah, they yeah, decide it, it, that one it, person says, "I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not happy, and I want a divorce," and the other person might say, "Well, gee, you know what? I'm, I really don't want to lose this relationship. I'm committed to it. I'm going to look for the good in everything." So, yeah, yeah, yeah. And what can we do to to put energy into the marriage? What can we do to to try? You know, that how do you how do you inve- get invested in it? Like, start working on a project together. You know, plan. A trip together? What can you do where you're both putting energy into it? Well, this is yeah. a perfect way to end because would you believe it? This We are done. <laughs> we are, I mean, we have gone the whole time and it was so quick. So thank you so much, Anne. And I just wanted to say your book again, Undoubtedly Awesome, your own personal roadmap from doubt to flow. And why don't you just give your website and it's time to go. Absolutely. It's annetucker.com, A-N-N-E. T-U-C-K-E-R.com. Thanks a lot. Okay, you keep in touch. Thanks so much, Ann. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 8.30 and visit our website at conflicthealing.com. Thanks. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.